It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And I am Don Crawford, Jr., the co-host and the very blessed owner of KWAM Radio, welcoming you to another estate planning essentials program, tirelessly endeavoring to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I'm sitting with my very good friend, my co-host, my attorney, who should be your attorney, Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Oh, Don, how you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. You, I would ask you, but you always say mighty adequate, as we were joking before the program, and I don't know what that means. What does mighty adequate mean? <laughs> it, it's kind of like a definite maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I like that lead into our program, because um, a definite maybe seems to be the theme of this next topic that we're going to discuss today, that you're going to educate us on, and that is not the things that you've been talking about for years, if not decades, that should be in your will. But in this case, today you want to discuss what should not be in your will. Yeah, because a lot of times people make mistakes. We see things in different wills that people do. Sometimes people have holographic wills, which are like handwritten wills. And sometimes even, you know, some attorneys make mistakes. Uh, so, or maybe, you know, somebody has one of these online wills. I saw something... Uh, just yesterday, uh, uh, where somebody had sent me the will and all the different mistakes that were made in there. So I thought, well, maybe I should discuss what you should not have in your will. Excellent. So, um, so first of all, so I don't know how many of these things I'm going to mention because there's a, probably uh, a multitude here, but I'm just going to talk off the top of my head. Uh, one would be joint tenants with rise survivorship accounts. So let's say you have a a will, then it says, um, I want, even if you maimed a certain account, which you probably shouldn't do because you never know if you'll still have that account at the time of your death, but the, if you had an account that says joint tenancy with rise survivorship, so a lot of times, let's say you go to a financial institution, uh, you may have uh, the signature card controls. So if you have an account that says, uh, I uh, have a joint account with rise survivorship to Sarah and my will says everything to Mike, <laughs> then, uh, then the account to Sarah would supersede the will. The ben beneficiary designate, well, in this case, the survivor, the, the signature card supersedes the will. So if I said in my will, this account or they, these, all my accounts go one way, but the uh, signature card says uh, joint tense with rise survivorship uh, in a different way. The account, how it's set up, will supersede the will. So now here it is. It, you, you thought you were doing things maybe one way, and it goes a different way. 
So it really depends on, you really have to look at uh, what how you sign different things because the contractual relationship supersedes. Sometimes there's things called tenancy and by entirety, and sometimes, uh, there's, of course, there's sometimes people have community property with rise survivorship, uh, and those things um, by, uh, bypass a will. Now, by the way, there's another thing, and I don't want to get too, too technical. Uh, if you have what's called tenants in common, tenants in common, uh, then each party could have had their stuff go by will. So we had one this week where I said, okay, if it's a joint account, then it's going to just go to your wife, and it was a second marriage. Uh, we checked into the signature card, and the signature card said tenants by in common. When it's tenants in common, you could give your share, your half, let's say, to, in this case, the daughter from a prior marriage, uh, whereas, because it's different than a joint account. So you have to look at what the signatures are on the account when we do, in this case, that person's will. So that's one thing. Assets with a right of survivorship. Uh, now, now, that, now, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that if you have uh, property, let's say you have a home with your spouse, does that home, if it's jointly owned, automatically go to your spouse? Not necessarily. Um, if you have a uh, children from a prior marriage, if you have children from a prior marriage, and you do not probate your will. It's very rare that in, in Texas, very rare that you see it says joint with rise survivorship when somebody acquires the property. So if you bought a home, uh, it's really pretty unusual. Uh, maybe you see it in less than 1% of the cases where it says acquired as joint tenants with rise survivorship. Uh, it's just jointly owned. Your name and so-and-so's name, spouse's name. Well, that your interest in the property would not automatically go. So if you didn't probate the will, if you had children from a prior marriage, then the surviving spouse would take an interest uh, with the children of the prior marriage. So then you would have to probate the will if that were the case. So just because it's a joint ownership of real estate and you're married, it doesn't automatically go to that survivor. And typically, uh, you would like that. A lot of times people don't may not probate a will if if they are children of the same marriage. A lot of times people do what's called affidavits of heirship if there are no debts owed by the estate. Well, anyway, let's get back to the topic. Okay. Um, so another thing would be, let's say you have a trust. Let's say you have a trust and you put, let's say, that real estate in your trust. And then you have a will that says, my real estate goes to Johnny, and your trust says that the property goes to Sue. Well, where's the property going? To Sue. To Sue. And so because the trust, so you may have some conflict there, but it goes by the trust because the property is inside the trust. If the will had, was out, if the property was not placed in the trust and the will said to Johnny, well, then the property would go to Johnny. So I guess you have to kind of look at what you're – if you have a trust, you need to look and see what's in the trust, and really the assets go according to the terms of the trust. But if it's not inside the trust, then you have to go look and see what the will says. So you have to – usually if you have assets in trust, you can't say in my will, my assets and my trust go this certain way. No, the trust document supersedes that. 
And so let me ask you that, if I could just stop you right there. Is that state, sure. federal, universal? How does that work? Well, I think that would be pretty much universal as far as, at least in the United States. I can't mm-hmm. speak for other countries, but, I mean, I'm not licensed in any state other than Texas, so I can only tell you about Texas, but really I think that a trust document, whatever the assets are held by the trust, would go according to the terms of that document. Right. It's just kind of like what we were just talking about on a bank account, if your your card says one thing, you're going to go by that card. Uh, we've talked about rights of survivorship, same type of thing. That's a contract. Well, the trust is kind of a document that's uh, signed as the grant or person signs the trust, with whoever the trustee is. So it's kind of a legal document. So, um, okay. So assets held in the trust would be a second thing that you would not say in your will. You might say that your assets go according to the trust, so typically when you have a trust, you have what's called a pour-over will, which means everything goes according to the terms of the trust. But if you had something inconsistent, that would be an issue. All right, well, so good. I mean, that's what trusts are for. That. And is that all matters? It's just the bottom line is that the trust will trump the will. As long as the asset is in the trust. The Inside, biggest okay. mistake that people make is failing to what we call fund the trust. And you've so, said that for many, many years, and can you just define what that means to make sure it's yeah. in the trust? Yeah. So let's say you have a bank account. Mm-hmm. It says uh, Don Crawford Jr. checking account at Bank of America. Well, that's an individual account. But if I retitle that that to the Don Crawford uh, Trust, then and so the account will now be saying to you as trustee of the, of the Don Crawford Trust, then now it's owned by the trust. Mm. If it was owned by you individually, if you didn't go to the bank and change the name, then it's not owned by the trust. Got it. So if it was an individual account, so let's kind of use that as an example. The individual account, there was no beneficiary designation, and let's say your will was not a pour-over will. Let's say your will said, uh, my account goes to all my assets that are individually owned uh, go that are not that are not joint. In other words, and do not have beneficiary designations. Go to Sarah, but the trust says uh, everything goes to Bruce. Um, the, then the will would it would go to Sarah because it wasn't in the trust. Mm. But it, but if it said everything goes according, if the will says everything goes to according to the trust then you would have to probate the will because it's an individual account. You didn't retitle it in the name of the trust. If you had put it in the name of the trust, then all that would have been avoided. And that's the biggest mistake that people make when they have a revocable trust or any type of trust is they fail to retitle the assets into whatever the trust is called. That's amazing to me, Michael, um, but it's such a little thing like that. Just change the name to uh, the trust. And it's just a label. It's just words, and it takes five minutes to do that. But that could make or break someone inheriting perhaps millions of dollars, as you're implying. Well, I mean, if there's inconsistency, and or at the very least, now usually when you have a revocable living trust, of course, it would be actually titled to the trustee of the whatever you call the trust. Mm-hmm. Usually, when you have a living trust, it says. Um, Everything, your will says, everything goes according to the terms of the trust, which Mm -hmm. means you probate and it pours over into the trust. But if somebody had a will and they didn't, they had a will that was inconsistent with that, 
and and they didn't put it in the name of the trust, and that's when the problem would arise. Okay, very good, very helpful. Thank you. What else should not be in the will? Well, other similar to that, sometimes things have beneficiary designations we were just alluding to. So, for example, let's say that bank account said paid on death. Mm-hmm. If the it said paid on death, well, again, the contract supersedes the will, or uh, or or a trust for that matter. Because if it said so, if I had a bank account that said uh, every paid on death to Sarah, but my will said uh, everything to Bruce, uh, the paid on death account would supersede the will. Okay. Similarly, if you had a life insurance policy. Uh, the life insurance policy, uh, If you, what do you have? A beneficiary designation generally. Now, I say generally because if you had, I suppose there are some times when somebody doesn't name a beneficiary or maybe the name beneficiary died and there was no conditional uh, secondary beneficiary, or if you said estate, uh, then I suppose it would go by that person's will. Mm-hmm. But generally, you name an individual uh, uh, who's a beneficiary of a life insurance policy or an annuity, things like that. Okay. Uh, well, let me ask you, when it says paid upon debt, paid infers money, it means transaction. What about transfer upon death and homes and things like that? Yeah, so there are different types of uh, good question. So a lot of times there's different types of deeds that you could transfer property on death, so it doesn't necessarily have to go by a will. So there's at least three that, that come to mind. One, and not in any particular order, is a life estate deed. I, having control of the property uh, in some respects, but upon my death it goes to whomever it is that you name as a beneficiary. I say beneficiary. It's actually called a grantee mm. uh, because it's a deed um, on, on mm. my death. Uh, now, actually, if it just doesn't have any other retained powers, the the grantee, the one who was to receive uh, at least upon death, actually has some ownership interest. However, if you do what we've called a ladybird deed, an enhanced life estate deed, you're in total control where you have the right to sell or lease or mortgage or even change your beneficiaries, Then, but upon death it goes to somebody. That also would supersede probate, which is why it avoids Medicaid estate recovery uh, so if somebody was in a nursing home or getting Medicaid benefits in Texas, uh, we are allowed to, uh, they go after things that go by will at death. And so sometimes it's best not to have a will uh, when you have somebody that has public benefits because uh, the state would have a right to make a claim against the property after death. So uh, any of these types of deeds uh, could avoid that, uh, whether it be a life estate deed, an enhanced life estate deed, or a transfer on death deed. There's a transfer on death deed uh, is often used, especially when uh, you have contingent beneficiaries. So let's say you said, I want that my home to go to Sarah, and then after to Sarah, I want it to go to dad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have this contingency that you could do in, a, in a, uh, a transfer on death deed you might not be able to do in a life estate deed. There are other types of deeds that get kind of technical that uh, would be beyond the probably getting too too uh, detailed for this show uh, mm-hmm. that you could have uh, done as well. But those are the three types of deeds that avoid probate because that are more commonly used because it just says it goes to whomever upon death. 
That's excellent. I love that. And um, real briefly, in 60 seconds, the difference between a ladybird deed and a transfer upon death deed, and why would do one over the other in the 13 states that allow ladybird deeds? There would be, I would probably need a full show to go through all oh, that. Oh, Okay. Uh, the, uh, but to give you some options, uh, some things what's good about Lady Birdie, uh, you have warranty of title on a Lady Birdie, which you do not have on a transfer on t- death deed. In other right. words, you go back through time and you can have uh, all the protections if there was some sort of title glitch from years back. A Lady Birdie would be preferable. On the other hand, if you wanted a contingent beneficiary, it may be better to have the transfer on death deed. Uh, a power of attorney, if you lack capacity, and we wanted to sign a lady bird deed, for example, you could do that with the use of a power of attorney, but you cannot do that with a transfer on death deed. A transfer on death deed has to be recorded prior to that person's death. A, a lady bird deed may not have to. A tra- uh, I'm gonna, as you can see, the list goes on. Um, actually, um, we probably I think I wrote an article about this that's on my website, DallasElderLawyer.com, which goes through at least uh, five different things or six different things that are pros and cons uh, on Lady Bird Deeds versus Transfer on Death Deeds. So if anyone's okay. interested in that, we probably even have a podcast, uh, you know, because on our website, as you know, all these shows, uh, we have podcasts either on SoundCloud or iTunes or um, Spotify. Uh, and so anybody could listen to one of these podcasts and if they're really interested in hearing all that, because it would probably take a full show. Sure. And I appreciate that. And I misspoke. It's not 13 states, Mike. I think it's just five or six states, Florida, Michigan, Vermont, West Virginia, and Texas. Is, is that your understanding? I don't know. I can't speak okay. for the all the what other different states, but we are in the minority. But yeah. That's a good thing. Oh, well, that is at least for, uh, you know, for Medicaid. Uh, right. And Lady Birdie. So yeah, we're we're one of one of some the minority states, and that's a good thing for Texas because it could save the home from the claim of a, a successful claim of the government upon the death of the Medicaid recipient. Excellent. Now, don't say that too loudly. We don't want the Californians to figure that out too. They're already coming <laughs> here and scooping up all of our homes. So uh, that's one more reason to want to live in Texas for sure versus other states around this country. Save those four or five that do have those Lady Bird deed options because they are tremendous opportunities for people who own their own home and want to make certain they can control it their entire lives and it goes to the right beneficiary after they pass. Um, this is wonderful stuff. Uh, it's unique because Michael's telling you what not to put in the will for various reasons. And uh, I've learned a lot so far in the first 20 minutes. You should attend Michael's next online workshop for you to ask more questions about this topic or about other matters that concern you that Michael can answer like he does so knowledgeably and easily during this program. That next workshop, which is an estate planning essentials workshop, is on January the 27th at 1 o'clock. It is a Thursday afternoon. It's online. It's not in person. You can attend uh, from the comforts of your own home and sit on your couch, on your laptop, click a couple buttons via Zoom, and you're there. I mean, it's really easy. And what's uh, what's a Zoom for dummies or whatever they call it, Michael, or <laughs> whatever the phrase is, but you've made it so easy for people to attend and never have to get in their car to go. Yeah, yeah. you can just use your uh, iPhone or uh, if you have a laptop, 
We tell, and even if you've never used Zoom before, we tell you what to do. It's very, very simple. And then all you do is click one button and you're off. And you could either um, uh, either be seen or not be seen or be heard or not be heard. Uh, we ask people what they want to know. It, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be about wills or trust. It could be about Medicaid. It could be about veterans benefits. It could be uh, any number of things. And so uh, each workshop is different because I never know what questions that people are going to ask. We start mm-hmm. off by saying, what do you want to know? Mm-hmm. And then in those two hours, we may we have a presentation, but we also ask whatever questions. And you could ask questions throughout. That's why we call it a workshop and not a seminar. And so um, it's free, uh, two hours. Uh, you'll see that the time flies by, and you'll learn something without any kind of obligation. In fact, we even give a free vision meeting, what we call a vision meeting, another one-hour meeting without any charge if you attend, but only if you attend the workshop. And there's no obligation on any of this stuff, and each one of these things, both those things for that are, rather are free. To attend the free Estate Planning Essentials Workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's Dallas elderlawyer.com. And by the way, that's also where you can locate those podcasts or if you mm-hmm. want to look at that uh, blogs, like on the article about ladybird deeds versus uh, uh, transfer on death deeds. If you're interested in any type of those type of topics, there's I write four or five articles a month. And so, and probably I'll write an article about what we're talking about here today that'll be in my February newsletter. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, each one of these things, we might write an article. A lot of times on the things that we talk about, we eventually do uh, an article as well. You know, it's interesting because I think people are now finally back in the saddle from going on vacation, um, spending time with the family over the holidays. And surely topics like this came up, wills and trust and estate planning and government assistance. And I'm certain that it generated more questions that you were told certain things, which probably aren't necessarily true. And that is all the more reason to attend this workshop so you can find out from the expert, in my opinion, who will tell you exactly what the current state of uh, your situation is, uh, what the laws are, and they changed. They changed on January 1st. I don't know what they are, but in various states around the country. And, of course, there were federal laws that changed in terms of what you can do regarding state planning and regarding government assistance. So all the more reason to attend Michael's workshop again on Thursday, January 27th at 1 o'clock, online, not in person, and uh, you'll really uh, leave there, uh, though virtually, uh, much more educated and, and confident in your situation. Now, Michael, we've got about seven minutes left. I was just thinking about the new name of your program and your workshop, so I'm going to change it, whether you let me or not. I'm going to change it to the State Planning Assumption, Assumptions Program because... <laughs> This is what everybody does. They assume. So whether it's the workshop, whether it's this program, estate planning assumptions is what you're all about. And you try to prevent people from assuming certain things so they don't get burned while they're alive or after their death. And um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that for them? Well, I mean, you know, just kind of like what we're talking about here today, you know, a lot of people assume different things. They may put it in their will and they, you know what they say about assuming anything. Yep. Uh, so you shouldn't you shouldn't assume anything. So let's say you assume that you put in your will, um, 
oh, I want I want to be cremated. Well, when are they going to look at the will? <laughs> right. It probably it may be well. You may be buried uh, six feet under, right. and then they see the will and they say, "Oh shoot, do we need to exhume him and cremate him?" You know. So, uh, or if you had, uh, let's say, you wanted to give uh, bodily gifts, well, you're already buried. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's not unusual. Like on funeral, people a lot of times in wills they say, oh, "Okay, I want a Christian-like burial" or something like that. Well, you're already mm-hmm. buried. Right, and so uh, uh, that's not unusual that people have that. But really, by the time you look at the will, it's probably already happened. Uh, yeah. So, and if you have an anatomical gift, a, a bodily gift, uh, a lot of times there's there's better ways than putting it in the will. You should have, uh, you know, like sometimes on driver's license or whatever. Uh, there are different ways to say things uh, in a, in a way that would be more efficient. Uh, right, and so. Or if you had, you say, I want my um, X, uh, X dollars to go to Fido. Well, Fido is a is a dog, is a is personal property in Texas. So if you wanted to give something for the benefit of a pet, you usually either have it where uh, somebody that you trust would be in charge and tell them what you want to have done to hmm. benefit that pet, how often to be walked. Sometimes people have pet trust. Now, if you give it directly to somebody and they, you know, give them cash and they don't do anything, what are they going to do to enforce it? You know, so, right. you, you know, so uh, yeah, I don't think FIDO is going to bring a lawsuit, but uh, <laughs> I guess in our world, it seems like they sue for everything. I guess uh, so. so. Even dogs, Leona Helmsley, all the way to today, you just, <laughs> you just never know. Um, you know, Michael talks about uh, these assumptions and, well, if I die, then everything goes to my wife. Well, that's not really true. It could go to your children. It could go to stepchildren. It could go to a number of people. And what if it happens, not often, but what if you're, you have an estranged child? What if he or she didn't do, as Michael's taught us over the years, what you wanted, or you didn't believe in their values, or they married the wrong person, or they don't practice the same religion or have the same beliefs, and they'll inherit something and um, you don't want them to, then what? Well, you just assumed it just goes to the wife and you should never do that. So make certain that doesn't happen and attend Michael's next workshop, which is uh, Thursday, January 27th at one o'clock. Michael, um, we got two more minutes, a few more things that should not be in your will. Well, you know, you just mentioned on a couple of things. When you, something that you, that you, what you just said kind of rings a bell is that is mm-hmm. kind of sometimes conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people want to, go into great detail. I'm giving uh, so-and-so, my grandchild, this because they did this for me. They mm-hmm. uh, uh, did this. They they came over um, uh, every, they called me every week. They did this. And mm-hmm. my other grandchildren didn't do that. Oh, right. well, and then they go on. Well, the other grandchildren might say, well, I did call. I think I could, could contest this will because I did that, and that was right. a condition. So when you get to, when you sometimes, if you just said, "I give to grandchild X," you know, I give to grandchild fifty thousand dollars, and if grandchild predeceases me, then it goes to whomever. Um, that would be fine, but when you start saying too much stuff, then it, uh, sometimes it's better to be uh, say a little bit less than to try <laughs> to go into great explanation of why and what he did and, uh, and under what conditions. Makes so uh, what you just said about those other things are more likely to raise a problem when you start doing these 
conditional type gifts. Uh, so that so you made a good point uh, when you said something like that. But so, they can do that. It is their money. It's their assets. They can do whatever they want. If there are strings attached, and there are strings attached. If they want to rule from the grave because they want to, quote, keep it in the family, whatever that means, okay, then that's the way it is. It is theirs to do that. Um, it's their prerogative. Uh, however, they've acquired the money in their lifetime. Um, so bear that in mind. Assume nothing. State Planning Assumptions Program is grateful that you're listening today. Attend Michael's next workshop, which is Thursday, January 27th at 1 o'clock. To do so, dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102 for that online workshop. Again, not in person. We'll go to Dallas Elder lawyer.com dallas elder e-l-d-e-r lawyer.com our dallas elder lawyer michael cohen we thank you sir thank you don Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.